Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and today I'm glad to have the Reverend Dr. Kevin Adams back on the podcast to talk with me about Psalm 48. As you listen to this conversation, you'll hear us once again use the word dance as we move back and forth between talking about both the specificity of this psalm's discussion of Mount Zion, as well as the fact that it points us to the universal rule of God over all the earth. I really enjoyed this conversation. Kevin pointed me in some really helpful directions, and I think you'll find it helpful as well. So without further ado, here's Kevin reading Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zephon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels, he has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror, trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor, You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The village of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Kevin, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks, Matt. It's a treat to be here always, to be in the same room with you as a treat. We were talking about earlier, it's been a while not because we didn't want you back, not because we were putting you on a psalm hiatus, but just the way it worked out. So I, well, I I looked back and I thought, it can't have been that long. Since well, I was feeling like maybe I was doing some psalm-related penance. So it's just <laughs> nice to be welcomed. No, I'm teasing. No, really glad to get to have a conversation about Psalm 48 with you. Oh, uh, good one. Yeah, it's a good one and a, a curious one. Maybe we can just start. Let's dive in with our first question. Let's do it. What stood out to you when you read the psalm? Well, the first thing that grabbed my attention was the enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this psalm writer is in a good mood. He's celebrating. (laughs) There's a lot happening, and he's feeling good about it. God is providing some. Maybe there was a a battle that happened. Maybe there was something uh, presenting issue. Maybe he was just reflecting on a lifetime. But whatever Mm -hmm. it is, there's a lot of joy and a lot of exuberance, a lot of enthusiasm for God as protector and God as ruler, God as king, and he's excited about it. So that's probably the first thing that stands out to me. Another thing that stands out to me is he's making a point, which all the Psalms do, that God is the God of the whole earth. So God is the God of Judah and Israel in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures, what we call them. But Mm -hmm. um, he's making a case that God is really God of the four corners, and there's some subtle references in these verses as we go. There's references to the north and the east and the west and the south, which are kind of interesting. And he's kind of relishing the point in a poetic way that God is God, not just of that particular nation, which was sort of the going idea at the time, but God is the God of everywhere and everyone. And he's pretty excited about that. It's <laughs> fun to celebrate. Yeah, that's it's that's really an interesting observation, because one of the things that stood out to me was how much this psalm is 
also about a concrete place. Right. It's about Jerusalem and Jerusalem, which is never named as Jerusalem. I was just looking at it in the psalm referred to as Mount Zion. But there is this sense of concreteness. And when I think about praising God for a place, I usually think about somewhere in creation, you know, a national park kind right. of situation. Right. Redwoods Yosemite or... or Redwoods. Yeah, exactly. Where you look and you're like, wow, this is, you know, praise God for this amazing place. And so it's just interesting that here there's a man-made city that's also sort of the heavenly city all at right. once. It's kind right. of playing double duty throughout this psalm. And that's some of the beauty I think of this psalm is the ways it, it's almost moving back and forth between a kind of vision of what will be and a vision of what is and delighting in both simultaneously. But this is something that's been standing out to me in the recent psalms that we've looked at too, is just how concrete the psalmists are in their approach to God. So by which I mean, like here, it is in a concrete place. It's in the context of this city that praise is sort of bubbling up. Like right. walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels. Like here it is in the midst of this prayer, right? There's something yeah, very tangible about it. And even just the sight of this place, going back to verse five, when the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, but that's verse four, then verse five, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. It says they come to, you know, the ramparts as they come up to the city. There's a sense in which the city itself is sort of commingling with God's care for his people somehow. So I don't know that I have massive conclusions about this. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I was just struck by how much the place was central to this psalm. The psalms are sort of moving away from the abstract. And even when you talk about sort of the east and the west and north and south, the ways the psalmist does that is also through kind of tangible places, right? Right. It, rather than just an abstract right. sort of, we, we might say the four corners or something like that, but the psalmist is using these tangible places. It's just kind of an interesting part of what they're doing. Yeah, like so much what you're saying, Matt. It's it's interesting. We often talk about the dance of a particular yeah, psalm, and yeah, the dance uh -huh. here is between a very concrete place yes. and what that concrete place represents. Right. So later, maybe we'll talk about the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, and what yeah. that means. But God is always specific. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's usually in a specific way, in a specific place yeah. we have in mind. And that's surely true here. Yeah. yeah, it's great. That's so helpful. Yeah, the ways, I mean... One of the things this is helpful for me in is that it pushes on the ways that my prayers can tend to be, this may be jumping to the third question a little bit, but can be abstracted, Sure. right? Even the ways I might engage with the Lord's prayer is easy in some sense to sort of abstract. And so to be brought, okay, what does that actually look like? You know, if I look around, what does that look like is a helpful reminder. Let, let's move to our second question. God, there's plenty of God in this Psalm, obviously, but what do we learn about God from this Psalm? Yeah, just I think a couple things just to repeat a little bit. God is the God of everywhere and everyone, yeah. I think. He makes that pretty clear in a poetic kind of dance or poetic celebration. God is the God of everyone and everywhere. God is God of a specific place, but he's the God of all places. Yeah. And I think one of the things we learned about God, Martin Luther at some point said, the whole Psalter is a celebration of the first commandment, which is God is the God who can be loved. God is the God who's sovereign. We should have no other gods before him. Mm. He's the one. He's the only. And the whole Psalter celebrates God as king, and it keeps coming back to he's the king, and it keeps mm. coming back to his kingdom is the best. I think to the average passerby, if you walked by Mount Zion, they'd say, yeah, okay. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of interesting. And I can see how in this 
small country, it's kind of a thing to celebrate. But have you been to uh, Lebanon? Have you been mm. to Switzerland? Have you been to, you know, someplace in France where you can ski down hills? I yeah. mean, this is something, but it's not that great. <laughs> so there's, but there's still, because this is God's chosen city, yeah. it has its uniqueness. And because it's God's chosen city, it's a way to celebrate. Have no other gods before me. Right. Uh, despite the that kind of modestness of this place. So it's both specific, but it's not it's not because that specific place is impressive, it's because God, the God of that specific place is impressive, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so helpful to name because certainly if you read this Psalm, you would think we're talking about the most impressive place. <laughs> you would be astonished, <laughs> you'd walk earth. by and you'd be like, oh my, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's it makes my mouth drop. Yeah. But, but not so, I mean, interesting, yes, and fascinating to be around. I've, been, I've had a chance to see it a couple times, uh -huh. but yeah. Not the Swiss Alps. <laughs> Which, I mean, that certainly just feels like a theme of the ways that God works right. also in Scripture, right? The the less less assuming, you know, right. the less impressive. The younger son, yeah, the younger the, daughter, exactly. the, sort of the outsider. Often becomes, through God's work, something worth celebrating. I was, I was really struck by the end of the psalm. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Which I think maybe a literal rendering of that would be even to death. And I was, there's just this interesting tone. I was even reading verse 12 and 13, this walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. There's a question that raises when I read those verses of why do you have to tell them of the next generation if they're going to endure? I wonder if there is just a tinge of also like a passing away of this particular rendering of the city. And I don't know enough about kind of the timing of the psalm in sort of the life of Israel. But I just thought there's this interesting kind of layer of a temporary nature, even of this grand kind of earthly city. And then to end with this line that God, God will be our guide even to death, even to the end. I thought there's just deep sort of like, yeah, I think there's a deep comfort in that. Uh, right. Like there's a version of that where you could read it as sort of a morbid kind of fatality but I think really what we're seeing here is someone who sees the wonder of what God does and what he can do, recognizes also the temporal nature of our lives, but trusts that even until my very end, even until the end of this whole city, God will be our guide. He won't leave us, whatever that end may look like, and we may not know, right? So I, I just found that comforting about like that a God, a God who is faithful to the end. I like that a lot. And as you probably know, uh, these three Psalms, 46, 47, and 48, are a bit of a group. There's yeah. a lot of... Uh, big and small groups in the Psalter. And 46, 47, and 48 are grouped and often at funerals or memorial services. Psalm 46 is read, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present mm. help in trouble. So there is, in Psalm 48, clear echo of that. So your point is just really apt and really helpful, I think. Mm. The God who outlasts us and the God yeah. who carries us through all the changes, including the final change of our earthly life of dying and moving on to the next, next Mount Zion of the new heaven and new earth, right? Yeah, right. Also also figured here. That's why, the, I mean, the psalm is just doing so much in so many ways. But one of the things it does do is it helps us to pray. So how does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah, I think uh, we've kind of hit on it already, but maybe it's worth repeating. One of the things I repeat, if God is the God of everywhere and everyone, that informs our praying. I pray the daily office almost every day. And almost every day, it has one of the seven continents so today oh, yeah. we're praying for Africa. Today mm. we're praying for Australia. Those are long prayers for me because of your birth. <laughs> today we're praying for Europe. Today we're praying for Antarctica. And so, and then we're praying for different denominations or different mm. people groups. 
And I think the psalm has kind of that quality. God is our God. He's personal. He's with us. He's for us. Have no other gods before him. And yet he's the God of everyone. And that's such a, it's such a good and beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think this, we talked about the dance between the, specific, the specificity of this particular place called Mount Zion and how it is both a specific real place, but how it also echoes the new heaven and the new earth. And I can't help when I read this Psalm 48, also think about Revelation 21 mm. and the new heaven and the new earth with a new Jerusalem that descends from heaven onto earth and uh, has a river flowing yeah. that is for the healing of the nations. So I think that same kind of reveling in God's good grace and God's good work is here in Psalm 48. And you can see the person who wrote Revelation 21, John, the apostle we think, might have had this in mind along with some other uh, text as well. So yeah. just a celebrating of God of the specific, God of here and now, but God of forever and always as well. Yeah, I had some similar, it's funny how certain Psalms sort of project you forward, so yeah. to speak, into, this, into the story as it kind of unfolds. And one of my thoughts too was, you know, the centrality of place of Jerusalem and the ways that even in this Psalm, it's turned, it's spreading out. It's, and I think, you know, I talked about this with Q too on Psalm 47, this idea that the nobles of the nations assemble right. as the people of the God of Abraham in verse nine. So right before this Psalm, you have that framing of all the nations gathering. Right. And then you have Mount Zion presented kind of in its glory, so to speak. But one of the ways that I was thinking about it sort of projecting forward too was with the sending of the spirit and the ways hmm. that God's presence becomes sort of unbound in a sense not that it was ever bound but he chose to sort of be particularly present to the people right. in a concrete place and then with Pentecost and the sending of the spirit there's kind of an exploding out of place such that you know within your temple oh God we meditate on your unfailing love is verse 9 but sort of the the Acts 2 faith, the faith of the Spirit, is really we are the temple. And anywhere right. we are is the place to meditate on God's unfailing love. And so as I was thinking how the psalm helps me to pray, I was like, uh, there is a real sense in which we look back on this. And this is an invitation to, in all our places, to invite God in. I, I was even thinking about, you know, prayer labyrinths, which are kind of distinct places that help us kind of walk and through prayer. I was like, I wonder what it would look like if you could make if you'd made your home a prayer labyrinth in other words i walk through the front door and there's a prayer for our coming the coming and going oh, of nice. me and my family i walk by the bedroom and there's a prayer for rest and the rest of those i love and i walk by the bathroom and there's a prayer for you know purity of heart and mind as i cleanse myself and receive god's grace you know you can imagine i just felt the invitation of a playfulness of place even in the celebration of this psalm and obviously reading back on this and thinking about what it means for us to interact with our place. I think I'm, I'm far too tempted to sort of be the, the brain on a stick <laughs> kind of abstractly walking through my world as opposed to kind of attentive. And how, how does this place actually help me pray and help me engage uh, with what God is doing in my life? So that really felt like an invitation to me of Psalm 48. Oh, I love it. I love the concreteness of that, Matt. And uh, the Hebrew folks, the Jewish uh, tradition has a lot of specific prayers like that, don't they? Mm -hmm. They Here, we're going to eat bread. Here's a prayer for our bread. We're right. going to drink wine. Here's a prayer for our wine. We're going to go to sleep. Yeah. Here's a prayer for our sleep. So what you're imagining has echoes, right. which are informed by this psalm and the others as well. I can't help think, too, um, this should inform the way we pray for the church mm. because it's New Jerusalem, Old Jerusalem, Current Jerusalem, Future Jerusalem. But there's also a way in which Jerusalem represents and the people of God represent the church. Yeah. 
And so praying for the church, rejoicing in God as the uh, champion of the church, the God who loves the church, even that phrase, counter towers, consider well our ramparts. You don't think of the church that way uh, yeah. very often, but there's, well, you and I know the kind of the dark side of the church because we work <laughs> sure. in a church office. But the church is really a beautiful place too when it does what it's supposed to do, when it serves the poor, when it uh, loves the hungry, when it uh, mends the broken as best it can, when it tries mm. to echo God's future healing of the nations in a current kind of way. Yeah. And just saying this specific place, this specific church, this group of churches is really something to celebrate as well. And yeah. the psalmist seems to be helping us Yeah, that I love way. that, Kevin. I think too, as you, as you say that, that's a help, helpful connection. You know, one of the temptations of a certain kind of brand of American Christianity is to see yourself as, a, you know, constantly vulnerable kind of to the forces all around us, whatever, whatever they might be, whatever we might name in this decade. But I think it would be interesting how praying Psalm 48 with a mind to the church would begin to inform that kind of embattled mindset, you know, to begin to think about the ways that even when the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. I, I can see how that would just begin to shift the way we think about the church and God's, what God is doing through her. Not, not in sort of a unhealthy triumphalism, but in a confidence in God's work and what right. he's doing. So the gates, kind of the echoing the gates of hell, as Jesus said, yeah. will not prevail against right. the church. Yeah, exactly. And the church is quite humble at times. And I think it's it's shaped, hmm. it's intent, intended to be humble. Yeah. But the God of the church, while humble, is also the one who's in charge of everything and yeah. everywhere. That's, so, that's, someone, yeah. that's someone to boast in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Any final thoughts on Psalm 48? You just shared a wonderful one, but well, I want to give space in case there's well, anything else. <laughs> Thanks for that. I do think that practice in my prayer book, my I say my prayer book because it's personal to me, but it's also been around for 500 years. That practice of praying for other places I think is a good one. And I think the model of Psalm 48 that reminds us not only to pray for our own country and leaders, mm. of course, but to pray for the other countries and other leaders and to pray for the church, our sisters and brothers around the world, and to celebrate God, uh, maybe doing a weekly tour of the towers and the ramparts and the citadels of the church and the mm. people around the world and remembering that God's in charge of everyone and everywhere. So it'd be kind of fun to think about. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful note to end on. Kevin, thanks for this conversation. Well, my my pleasure, Matt. Always good to be together. Yeah, and let me just add as we close uh, a couple of verses from Psalm 48. Let's hear again verse 8 and then 14. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>